Being handicapped or disabled can feel like you're moving forward in reverse. I'm your host, Scott Norton. Join me and my new friends from this underrepresented community as we talk about disrupting the status quo and creating change within the world and within ourselves. Hey, life's a road trip. Hop in. Let's turn on some tunes and go. seat of managing the radio is Travis Davis. It usually happens that the introduction of my guest is the last thing that I add to my show notes. While studying Travis, I found it appropriate that he was born on April 22nd, which is Earth Day. He's laid back, lives in Albuquerque, and has a unique perspective of the world and people thanks to his disability, cerebral palsy. Travis is diverse. He's a teacher, podcaster, blogger, speaker, and a disability advocate. It was his insightful LinkedIn posts that spurred me to contact him about being a guest. We'll talk about those posts today. Hi, Travis. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm doing fine. Hey, um, I was on your website, and one of the thing, first things I came across was a little little uh, piece on the bottom. I think it was underneath the photo. And you wrote, thanks for the cool name, Mom and Dad. <laughs> I have to agree. It has a certain je ne sais quoi to it, I must say. Um, I actually was substitute teaching in the math department at the high school where, where I'm at here. And there was a Nikki Nelson. So you had Travis Davis, which is cool. And then I was subbing for Nikki Nelson. So I was like, wow, a couple of cool names, man. I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I thought um, it was really neat. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes people grow up with the name that they don't like, or there's something about it, but I've always appreciated my name and it's, yeah, it's one of the names that I think some people can remember right away just because of the exactly. uh, you know, alliteration with the first and last name. Exactly. Now, you're in Albuquerque. You ever make it over Santa Fe? Yes, I've been to Santa Fe many, many times. Um, I like to take the the Rail Runner train over, and um, it's really cool to take it about an hour, same amount of time that you would driving, maybe a little more, but... Um, yeah, Santa Fe is a great place to shop and eat res- mm-hmm. eat at the restaurants and just kind of see a different side of um, New Mexico. You know, Albuquerque is the biggest city in the state, and it's definitely, you know, it's got a diverse culture. But I think when you go into a place like Santa Fe or Taos, you really get the full sense of New Mexico. Yeah, just love uh, hanging out on the square and bopping around, mm-hmm. picking up little things here and there, and churro here, or whatever there. Uh, hey, fill us in on wheelchair basketball. And that's one of the things I came across a couple of different times, and it just really intrigued me. Heard the story about it, but also how do how does it make you feel? I mean, to to get into uh, a game like that. Yeah, so I started playing wheelchair basketball when I was about twelve years old. Now, growing up, I didn't have anybody that I knew with a disability up until that point. And my parents were coming back from a uh, business trip. I think it was from St. Louis. I wasn't with them, but as they were coming back, um, my my mom saw a pair of crutches. And on the bottom of the crutches, the um, the pads were different than what I you like what I had on mine. And so my mom had mentioned something to my dad about getting those for me. And one of the boys on the plane 
had asked if they had a child with a disability. And they said, yeah, we have a son with cerebral palsy. So then he invited us uh, to, or invited my parents to take me to wheelchair basketball practice. And so I started going and then I go every week and I was playing on a team until I was a junior in high school, but I loved being a part of a team. Um, that was the first time that I was a part of something, a team sport. And then all of our trips were outside of the state. So we would travel about three or four times a year to different parts of the country. And, you know, I've been anywhere from, Oklahoma, Philadelphia, Nevada, um, Colorado, Illinois, just really cool places. And so I think that having that experience playing wheelchair basketball was so unique because I, I, I mean, I love basketball in general. So to be able to play a sport that I grew up watching and that I love was just really cool. And to learn the rules, I think the hardest part for me was trying to um, dribble the ball while pushing. And so you the the rules, very similar to regular basketball, but um, you, have, you have to m- dribble the ball before three pushes. So you get two pushes and then a dribble or else it's uh, called a travel. And and the wheels are are slanted uh, slightly because it helps with the maneuvering and to getting around people. And so very different than a regular wheelchair, how the wheels are just, um, they're just uh, in, in one, I don't know what degree it would be, but, but uh, you have the wheels that are angled on the basketball chairs. And so I loved playing. I think it was probably one of the best um, time periods of my life. And to have a, a coach who also had a physical disability, polio, to look up to and to um, learn from was also really impactful for me. Fantastic. Hey, now th- I'm going to ask this or get into it very open-ended. I'm just going to ask you to, to tell us about your experience with cerebral palsy. I mean, the whole gamut, mm. just just to roll with it. If not, <clears throat> if anything else, just think of it as you've got a classroom full of students mm-hmm. and you want to fill that in. So talk to the audience about cerebral palsy. Sure. So I was born with cerebral palsy. Doctors, I think, you know, some of it is kind of foggy to me in the sense that the information that I have, a lot of it came from my parents telling me because, you know, when I was born, maybe one, two, three years, I I don't have those memories. But, um, yeah, so I have what's called spastic diplegia, which just means that my legs are affected by it. Now, anybody that has cerebral palsy, or I'd say everybody with CP, are born differently in the sense that no one per no two people are born the same with CP. So um, I've met individuals who 
have maybe their cerebral palsy affects the right side of their body or the left side or even their upper body, not their legs. My upper body has um, had was not affected by my CP. And, you know, what I tell students to kind of break down all of the medical terminology is that the nerves in my brain, they don't fire at the same time with the nerves in my legs. And so, um, you know, a lot has to do with the muscle spasticity or tightness and trying to manage that the best that I can through different interventions. Now, as I have grown up, I've had surgeries on my legs and over the past several years, I've had um, Botox injections, which um, it loosens the muscles, tight, the, the tight muscles. And so um, you know, people get it for cosmetic reasons, but you know, these shots really help with the, the tightness and it paralyzes the muscle for about three months. And so it allows more manipulation and allows um, just what, whatever you're getting injected, it allows that muscle to function a little easier. But, um, you know, sometimes the spasticity could actually be helpful for somebody with CP because it, in in some ways, it it can just help keep somebody either stable or for whatever reason. So I don't get it on, you know, every part of, you know, my lower body that's affected, just, you know, a very, very small amount. But, you know, I've, I've had, gosh, what, 13, 14 surgeries since I was born up until about eighth grade. And, you know, those were very helpful into my development into an adolescent and then now as an adult. And I think that, you know, I think for the most part, cerebral palsy is, um, has really shaped how I look at the world. And I don't look at my disability as something that I need to, um, I dwell on or think that it's some sort of like negative experience that I'm dealing with on a daily basis. You know, I have gotten opportunities because of my cerebral palsy. And, you know, you mentioned your experience as a substitute teacher, and I've been in the classroom for a number of years, and I've been able to share my life experiences with CP to the students that I've been in the classroom with. I have a question though. You mentioned so many surgeries. <clears throat> Was that was each surgery a planned procedure or was it in reaction to something that mm. had changed? I would say for the most part, they were a planned procedure. Now, aside from the um, CP, I also had a hole in my heart when I was born and that was sort of independent from it. So that counted for a couple surgeries when uh, I was just born and then about six months um, after that. And then I also have, um, well, I don't have hydrocephalus. I have what's called a, um, ZV, uh, C, CV shunt, which is basically just like a small catheter that goes in, um, from my brain down to my stomach area to drain the fluid. So there's not an excess 
amount of fluid in my brain, which would cause the hydrocephalus. So, you know, I've had like, you know, if it's not the cerebral palsy, then it's at the, it's one uh, thing the it's heart the surgery, then it's this. So, you know, it's, yeah, I think it all goes together, but I, I've never had any surgeries that weren't planned. I think the okay. doctors were very vigilant and um, strategic in how they went about the process. Okay. Now I want to shift gears a little bit and we'll get into your LinkedIn posts. <clears throat> and one of your recent ones was um, you stated that uh, the percentage of Americans with a disability that are employed is currently at 21.3%. Now that's up, correct, from what it's been mm -hmm. a, a couple of years ago. What needs to happen, do you think, for this trend to continue? Well, I think that the pandemic, while, I mean, beyond terrible and what happened in 2020 some of the silver linings if you would if you would call it that i think lended itself to the um, you know working from home and providing other individuals who may have not had opportunities to work to to work from home and i think a big percentage of that came from the disability community and so now that you know some people can say that we're out of the pandemic. Some people say that we're still in the pandemic. So whatever we are in at the moment, I think if um, employers and, co and companies would still continue that trend of allowing workers to work from home, that would give more opportunities to the disability community to continue the, um, to continue to increase the, employment rate and lower the unemployment rate. Okay. Will be interesting. Uh, another one of the posts I came across, it was, it was from Disability Scoop. And, and uh, listeners should be aware that all of these uh, stories will be linked on the uh, Life's of Road Chip website. So it's, it's from Disability Scoop. And the title is World's Largest Clothing Retailer to Double Its Disability Employment. Now, I was happy to see that it was Zara. Um, my wife Sue and I were in, in Europe and one of the cities that we uh, had fun in was Paris. And we went to a Zara in Paris. And I remember that there was a lady that helped my wife look at some clothing and, and she was in a wheelchair. Uh, so it tied it together as, as I thought back. And here's one of the statements that's in the uh, article. It says, the owner of Zara is committed is committing to uh, dramatically increase employment of people with disabilities throughout its operations. Uh, Inditex, the Spanish company behind Zara and a handful of other brands, says that it intends to double the number of people with disabilities in its workforce in the next two years. When you come across something like that, what makes it interesting enough for you to pull out and link to and post it on LinkedIn? That's a great question. I I think because I hear so many stories, maybe like at the antithesis of either there's a lack of individuals work, with disabilities working or individuals with disabilities are getting fired or there's like discrimination. And then you also have um, organizations that are hiring people using a um, 14C certification that allows um, organizations to hire individuals for sub-minimum wage. And so they, 
there's, I think there can be a lot of negativity on the other end of it. And so when I see positive stories like this, and even like entrepreneurial stories, if you have um, individuals that have opened up, you know, brick and mortar um, retail uh, stores, I think that's really inspiring. And it gives a lot more hope and motivation for other people with disabilities to um, continue and, and not giving up hope on finding employment. See, this is what I thought when I started coming across you here and there, and it gave me the idea to contact you about being in a show. You've got a positive attitude. I, I, I think that that's needed. And I'm really happy that we hooked up on, on LinkedIn. So now anything you post comes across and I'm able to read it. Another one I want to get into, uh, Travis, is this. The title is Lego Friends Launches Characters with Down Syndrome, Missing Limbs, and Anxiety. Now, again, the link is going to be on the uh, Life's a Road Trip website. <clears throat> I'll read about it for what I took from the, uh, uh, from the article. Popular with young girls, Lego Friends was launched in 2012 and contains mini doll figures, which are the same size as traditional mini minifigures, but more detailed and realistic. The toy maker is striving to make it, uh, its sets more inclusive and ensure that its characters represent all children across the world. The new figures were announced in October of 2022 and went on sale in January of 2023. Um, what are your thoughts? What were your thoughts? I mean, obviously, we know why you put it on there and, and posted it. It's the first I came across it, Travis. Sure. What are your thoughts about what Lego is doing? So I actually was like debating whether or not to post that because as I was doing some more research, I found that there were other news stations that were maybe displeased by Lego's decision. You know, they used the word Why? woke. They used the word woke. Oh, and God. they said that, uh. the, you know, the Legos are now going woke because they are adding Ooh. All these. And so, I mean, I, I have a fair amount of, um, you know, followers on LinkedIn and I try to be as like apolitical and I didn't even first read it. And I'm like, why does this even have to be political? And I, <laughs> I don't understand. And so, yeah, I didn't understand too, but you know, I decided, I, I think it, you know, anytime that, there is more disability representation and m more ways for you know like young people to to see that representation especially if they can relate to it i think it's just a positive thing you know i think it you know for the most part excluding the 14c now there are you know arguments for that but i don't see it as a positive thing i think for the for the most part Anytime you have um, disability-related stories about representation, I think it's positive, whether it's in the media, the news. Um, uh, in, in this case, with the Legos, it, it's just similar to any other type of toy that can provide representation. And I just thought it was a neat thing to, to do. And, you know, this kind of reminded me of many years ago when I went to um, Build-A-Bear, not for myself, 
but to uh, for another per for um, <laughs> I think it was for uh, my cousin at the time. And then I saw the Build a Bear. They have these accessories, and you could buy a, a wheelchair and you know for the Build a Bear. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. So yeah. I think what the Legos are doing is really awesome, and it's just like another step and i think there's also like a lego land so i don't know maybe hopefully down the road they can combine the what they're doing with these um you know no pun intended special legos to the uh the lego land in person because then when you get to the the theme park then you, you run into accessibility and what that all looks like so i think it was a good it, it was a good pairing and so i just was not understanding why you know the word woke had to be injected into that story well please do me a favor travis as as someone that follows you please don't overthink oh some Mm. people might not throw it out there now i want to stay on this topic because i did some more digging and here are the two uh kids that are part of the lego characters autumn Her name is Autumn, and her description reads, Autumn is a free spirit who is at her happiest when she's outdoors. She's a great listener, and her easygoing nature brings calmness to any situation. Autumn cares deeply about the planet and loves sharing her experiences with friends. She was born without a lower part of her left arm. Not that she's, uh, not that she lets this get in the way of exploring nature. Now, I found Autumn in three different places. Autumn is in Autumn's house playset, which is $70. It's cool. She has her own box set, you know. She was also in the Heartland International School playset. That's 100 bucks. There are a few different kids in there. And then she's, the third one is uh, the Dog Rescue Center, which is 60 bucks. I mean, it's not terrible. Now, here's, here's an issue that I had to really try. Fiona is the Down syndrome child, okay? Mm. Uh, she is in one, one set. She's in the downtown flower and design store with a bunch of different kids for 160 bucks. I found no character description on poor Fiona. And that surprised me and kind of ticked me off because they were rolling mm. with me. Um, too bad my kids are way too old for this. Otherwise, I'd be, yeah, okay. But that really disappointed me, man. Um, wow. How you, you know, you're, you're throwing your weight towards autumn's like rah rah for autumn and then here's fiona okay well we'll we'll shove fiona in the a large box for 160 dollars and let her just hang there so oh well i I guess we got to applaud any positives we can get well you you know maybe i'm thinking too deeply on it but that could also just be a reflection of you know our society today when when you look at um, just the population of individuals who have Down syndrome in relation to other physical disabilities. I don't, I'm just assuming that it could be smaller. But then, you know, how often are we talking about individuals with Down syndrome outside of maybe the Special Olympics? So yeah. and it seems like a lot of times, individuals if they are not contributing and i'll put like the contributing in quotations to society then they are just like left out so you know i don't want to make i don't want to go as far as to say that legos are are making some sort of statement but um i think that is a little bit of a reflection 
Yeah, I, I like that they are making a statement because mm. they're sticking their neck out there when no one else really does. Okay, so the show's been doing pretty well. I want to take a two-second break here in case someone wants to drop an ad in. So hang on. Okay. Um, now, you've done some traveling, as you said. Mm-hmm. And a few weeks ago, you posted a link to a story about traveling with a, di- with a disability. You stated in uh, on LinkedIn um, the heading, Las Vegas, New York, and Orlando were deemed the most dis- uh, disability-friendly cities in the U.S., by the survey's 3,500 respondents, along with international destinations, including Amsterdam, Tokyo, and Sydney. Um, what were your, what was your take from that article? I was surprised. I mean, I've been to um, about three of the cities mentioned. Um, I mean, I'm going to Las Vegas uh, in a couple months, but... I would have thought that maybe, you know, I've in the past I've read that like Albuquerque is like a top one. And then I try to stay on these lists when they come out. And I know I think it was like over Overland Park. I think I'm saying this. Kansas? On Kansas, yeah. yeah. So that was like a top one years ago. And then a couple cities in Arizona, I think it was maybe Scottsdale or something like that. But it's it's interesting because I think that, I don't know, like accessibility can be kind of relative because let's say that like Arizona is, or let's say like Scottsdale is the most accessible city in the world, but, mm-hmm. and I've lived in Chandler, so I've been to Scottsdale, Scottsdale many times. In the summertime, it cannot, it, it is so hot that somebody using a wheelchair can be um, can have a hard time. I remember when I was in Chandler and I was going to the mall and I got my wheelchair out and the sun when I was driving it was so hot that I couldn't even touch my uh, rims for my wheelchair to even like push and like go outside. Okay. And then I mean so I think weather I don't know how much weather played a role in that, but I think that is also something to look at when you think of like accessibility and how you can someone with a disability can like overheat and not really function when you go to these cities. I lived in Las Vegas for five years and I didn't have a problem. And here we go, folks. There's always a debate out there. It is a dry heat. Summers, I mean, the whole time it wasn't too bad on my arms and I wear prosthetic arms in there. They can be heavy and they can start to get, if they start to sweat, that's when I have problems when they misfire. So uh, Florida is not on my high list for places to travel. Mm. Um, talking about traveling, my wife and I, again, we were in Europe, we were in Amsterdam. It wasn't bad, but we didn't, you know, we got on the tram and we, we went around, we went in, we were in Bruges in Belgium, such a beautiful place. Super simple. We had a huge problem in Paris because we thought, or I thought it was my mistake. When we uh, took the train in from Bruges to Paris, we thought, oh, okay, we'll get on uh, the, the tram system. There are no freaking elevators there, man, um, mm. with suitcases. And what about people with with wheelchairs? Yeah. How are you going to be getting around Paris? Maybe we missed something, but we even talked to some folks there, and they just that's just the way it is. Now, London, yeah, besides there's so many people, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. They did have elevators for people with disabilities to be able to use them. I tend not to, to use any. So yeah, it, it's out there. 
Now, one of the things I, I did read in that article, where is it? Um, it does have it does have something to say about if the city is older and if, mm. you know, if, if it's an older city like Paris, you have to be able to retool everything. Now talk about, there are three main points in that article I wanted to bring up for travelers with disabilities. Trips are made so much easier and accurate information about accessibility is available. I don't know about you, but do you look at accessibility issues before you go someplace and make the, a decision on that? And you're in a mm. wheelchair. Yeah, I'm so ambulatory, but sure. Well, so when I was born and I started to walk, I began using a, a walker, and then I graduated to crutches. And it wasn't until my last surgery in eighth grade that I started using a wheelchair for longer distances. So I actually alternate between the two depending on the situation okay. that I'm going in. So I don't look at the accessibility um, prior to traveling, mainly because if there is an issue where I can manage of like walking and like pulling my wheelchair up, then I can like work around it. But if there's just like no way where like my wheelchair, even if I tried to do something with my wheelchair and I couldn't get it up, if there's like stairs and no elevator, then I just won't even bother. So I, I, I have friends who I don't want to call, call it stubbornness. I don't know what the word is. Maybe determined. So they, they're determined that regardless of where they are, nothing's going to stop them to get to their journey. Now, um, for me, I may just not care that much and I'll just be like, okay, well, like that's not going to work for me. I'll just go somewhere else. And that's not like a big deal. So I, I, I try to just kind of pick my battles, but that's, that, that doesn't happen very often. Normally everywhere I go for the most part, but like you said, older cities and older areas are a lot harder, even right. when like Santa Fe, like there's a lot of buildings in Santa Fe that are old and it can be very difficult for me to get around. Oh, True. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Uh, another point that was in the article, and I, it makes me think about sometimes that my feeling is that sometimes people, I think, try to push the envelope a little bit too far, kind of too picky. Mm. Um, there's a quote, it's great to show photos of the beautiful vase that sits on the table and amenities and all those things, but it's not what you're interested in. You need to know, is this a lip on, that prevents me from going from the hallway into the bathroom, Parker said. What are the barriers that I'm going to face there? Well, come on. Mm. Isn't it part of traveling is flying by the seat of our pants? We have disabilities. We can't expect everything perfect for us. You know, you yes. deal with it. I do. So, yeah, this was, I, I wanted to bring that point out because I thought it was, it was nitpicky. So, Again, I I have a fair amount of LinkedIn connections and I see a lot of other folks who have disabilities and you know, to each their own, they don't share that same exact mindset. Mm -hmm. So I think in their minds they are striving for that perfection. They are striving for that. And in my mind, like I don't know, I don't think that we're ever going to get to a place where 
everything's like fully accessible. I think there's always going to be accessibility issues. I think there's always going to be, um, you know, roadblocks that people with disabilities face. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know that maybe that's like a too negative thing to say, but I think that's more like reality to it, just it instead realistic. of being instead of just being a, an idealist of like, okay, well, we have to just continue and eventually, and it's like, no, I think that regardless if you have a disability or not, you're going to run into roadblocks, but it's, you know, how you react to the situation. And, yeah. you know, sometimes like, like life's not fair. Like if you can't get into a certain building, there may be no possible way to get in the building the way that you want to be. So I, I, I can't pick a, an example off the top of my head, but I just know that like life's not fair and to like have this expectation and then to be constantly like just to be constantly um um what's the word i want to use like down or depressed when um the reality is not met with the expectation yeah so well here's the thing that i you probably saw this too that i i believe is a major problem and I hadn't thought about it, for, but for God's sakes, this needs to be corrected. A couple of months ago, there was a video floating around on LinkedIn of a woman that was wheelchair bound on an airplane. And she basically said, and someone filmed her to make a point. To hell with this. She was dragging herself down the aisle backwards using her arms because she, she was not ambulatory in order to, uh, up the aisle in order to use a bathroom. Now, it also had a situation where how the heck was she going to get in and be able to close the door and everything? So she had to have a friend stand guard by the door in order for her to feel comfortable. Now, you've been in a wheelchair on an airplane. What's being done? Not, it doesn't seem like anything is being done. So, yeah, yeah that's, this is um, an interesting What's a topic. a big problem? Be it is. Because I've, I've been on... Like I said, growing up, I've been on many flights with my okay. teammates who've had spina bifida that couldn't get out of, like they needed help. They were in a similar situation as that lady. And this was like, I don't, I don't know, 20 years ago, 18 years ago. And so like back then, airlines weren't as good as they are now. And people would still argue whether they are good today. But, um, I, I, but I've never, ever seen an issue of all the times I've flown with my teammates, never one issue. Now, I don't know. So I, I try to th see things on both sides because I don't know what was being said to that lady prior to the video taken. Mm -hmm. So it could me be that there was a certain amount of time that they couldn't, they as the people um, couldn't get up to go to the bathroom. Like usually they have some sort of um, uh, like aisle chair. Yeah. Aisle chair that they take and they bring somebody in that situation to the restroom. So I, I don't know. I don't want to jump in again. I, I don't want to jump to just like Airlines are bad. Like, watch this video. No, not because, saying that, yeah, but it seems like yeah. there's a problem that needs to be solved. Yes, of course. No, that I, that I agree with. And again, I, I 
I don't think it's fair to just, and I'm, we're not doing it in this in this situation. I don't think it's fair to put all um, the blame on the airlines. I do think that, um, yeah, there needs to be either the procedures need to be in place better. They need to be looked at and the conversations need to continue in that way. Yeah. Now, whether if it was that um, time period where nobody could get up, I mean, whether somebody has a disability or not, it's like, well, okay, well, what if an elderly person had that same issue? Like, I don't know. So I think there's a lot to go into it. And like, all I, all I know is that the amount of flights that I've been with my peers never once had an incident. And so I don't know, everybody's different, but I, I, I do think that there is a problem that needs to be solved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're the guy that keeps, I, I just, again, uh, I was very attracted to the things that you were posting mm. and you were able to stir things up. And I, I think that being proactive and not being able to be afraid of things is really important. So let's get into your TED, TEDx talk. Mm -hmm. You know, I came across this. This is on your website. And again, folks, that's going to be linked on the uh, uh, Life's a Web, uh, a road trip website. Um, in the, uh, uh, on the TEDx talk, you open with, if I had a dollar for every time a student asked to play with your crutches with you, you'd be a millionaire. But you'd be dirt poor if the same were true about the number of times students asked you about your di disability. Go into that. <laughs> so those two lines were actually, um, I worked on that with my speaking coach and I guess to maybe give the listeners a little bit of insight on kind of what it, the process is to give a TEDx talk. You know, I applied, um, with in 2015 and it was, um, it was a topic that I had an idea for based off of the presentation I gave, I mean, maybe it was a couple of weeks before I, I submitted the application on a social inclusion in sports for my sports sociology class. And I just thought with my background in substitute teaching and the conversations that I had with the students, that that was something important that I could share to a larger audience. And so as I was having conversations with my speaking coach about it, you know, we came up with, you know, the idea and it, you know, it all, it is factually true. I think that when I substitute taught, a lot of the students were just so enamored by my wheelchair or my crutches that they wanted to play with the stuff um, mm -hmm. like all the time, and, you know, and yeah, and I had to be like, no, you, you might hurt yourself and I don't want to be liable for, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, the silly things that you might do with them. Um, but you know, when it comes to having those conversations, that is something that is not, um, done as, as often, at least at the time that I gave my TEDx talk. And I think a lot of that has to do with the, um, apprehension of kids not wanting to offend anybody by just asking them like, like what's wrong with you? Or, you know, why do you walk like that? Or why do you have crutches? Mm -hmm. Well, you close it out with uh, 
mentioning how you uh, once asked the students at an elementary school if they were interested in your disability, but were afraid to ask. I think you asked for people mm -hmm. to raise their hands yeah. that wanted to ask you, but were afraid to ask. Talk mm -hmm. about that, please. Yeah, so when I was giving a uh, lecture in my, it was a, it was eighth grade. I think it was eighth grade. It was eighth grade uh, middle school. And uh, the student at the time had raised his hand and he just asked why I had crutches. And so instead of kind of finishing up what I was doing, I took a few minutes to share with the class about my disability. And then when I had the idea to share my story with the whole middle school, that was the first thing that I asked them before I started my my talk about my disability was how many of you have ever seen me on campus and wanted to ask about my disability but were too like too afraid and I was surprised about of um, the amount of hands that went up and it also made me kind of sad because that just showed like how far off. Um, I don't want to just put again put it on one group of people so I don't want to say educators but just how far off education is um when it comes to having the conversations about disability in the classroom because it's not just like on the teachers and it's not just their responsibility to um start those conversations I think that you know if a student has a brother sister family member with a disability, they could also start those conversations mm -hmm. with their friends and, and whatnot. But I think having the conversation about being willing to have the conversation is important. Yeah. It's, it's our job as, as two disabled people that go into mm -hmm. the classrooms to be able to not be afraid. I, I open every year up with talking to kids that haven't had me before about it. I tell them my story and then, then they're all pretty cool about it. I want to jump to your blog. And I think it was the last one, uh, why I do physical therapy. You open with one day during physical therapy, my physical therapist made a suggestion that I found insightful. As I am shifting my career goals, I was given the suggestion to look at PT school. The assumption was that since I had been in physical therapy throughout my life and with my experiences having cerebral palsy, it seemed like a practical fit. I want to focus on why I go to physical therapy in the first place. In an earlier post, I mentioned that physical therapy won't fix me, unlike the majority of the people who go to rehab or specific goals. Talk about that. And, and have you gone down that road? Have you looked at getting into PT? Um, I think at a certain point I did. Well, at one point I did, but then I looked at just the amount of um, not only time, but the classes that I didn't really do so well in high school and undergrad basically you know the sciencey classes or okay. you know were very tough for me and you know then i was thinking well you know how difficult would it be for someone with a disability to be a physical therapist now that was at that time i've since have come across a couple different podcasts of um individuals who have disabilities and are pts which is pretty okay. cool but yeah. Um, yeah, I think being in that environment for so long growing up, I just thought, well, yeah, maybe I could help other people in that regard. I don't think that that's necessarily where my gifts lie. I enjoy talking to physical therapists about how to maybe better approach 
um, their patients that have either a disability or cerebral palsy. But you know, I think that the more that I have been involved with physical therapy, the more um, that I've understood that it's more about maintenance rather than you go in for three months and then you come out, I guess, better than you did. Mm -hmm. I, I loved at, uh, at the end of, I think it was on that post, there's a little kid on a beach. He's about three years old, little budgy cheeks. He looks like a, just a, a tough kid. And it says, didn't cry during physical therapy. So <laughs> oh, yeah. I hope people go on there and take a look at it. Hey, we're going to be wrapping up the show and we're going to go from here. And we're going to try that again. Fudge. It didn't work. Oh, well. There's usually supposed to be a honk from a VW Beetle, <laughs> which means it's time to shift gears and we get into the road trip roundup. Now, uh, Travis, this is five questions to you uh, regarding your experiences with uh, road trips, okay? All right. Sure. So, number one, when road tripping, do you tend to do fast food or local diners? Mm, fast food. Okay. What you, uh, what's your go-to? Go-to place? Mm, I like Wendy's. Oh. You get, uh, what's the guy, the, the guy that um, uh, created Wendy's, um, the, his burger, the single or the oh, double yeah. cheeseburger. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, those are great. Yeah. Um, number two, what's your dream car on a road trip? Could be something you grew up with, something that you currently have, or something that um, you would love to be able to just go out and, and get inside and go on a road trip in. You know, I am actually pretty fond of the car that I have because it's a, it's a Honda Fit. And again, no pun intended, it fits me pretty well because um, anyone that's familiar with the Honda Fit and the hatchback, um, I'm able to put my wheelchair right in the back and I don't have to put the seats down. So there's tons of room. And even when I was coaching and playing wheelchair basketball and I had to put multiple uh, wheelchairs in my car, just putting the back seat down gave me so much room for everything that I needed. And again, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I don't, because I'm a small, like I'm small in size anyway, I don't like being in larger vehicles, okay. but I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just cool because it's not, I mean, I don't know. I tend to just really enjoy the um i've only had two cars in my life but the other car was a suzuki arrow it was very similar to the honda fit um ironically they don't make either of those cars anymore <laughs> so i think the next car that i'm going to um get it will be a, a kia rio their um, hatchback because i just need to have something where um, my wheelchair will fit without having to put the seats down we own uh, Kia Seltos, and mm. we just bought my wife um, a uh, Kia Nero. So, oh, cool! Warranties, man. I mean, we just love it. Yeah, my wife has uh, wanted something like that that's uh, semi-electric uh, for quite some time. All right, next question: Last cassette or CD that played while you're on a road trip? Mm. Last cassette. 
I will probably say it was a, a mix CD, but I don't recall, gosh, I don't recall the names of or the songs that were on it. Probably something from the the 2000s, like early, mid-2000s. But yeah, that was right before the iPod, iPods had started to gain some speed. And, you know, that's when like the Napster and the LimeWire oh, and yeah, all yeah. those um, um, music sharing <laughs> programs yeah. were out there. And everybody was trying to do whatever they could to stop the illegal sharing of the music. And, and uh, you know, you download whatever songs, and then you just put them on a CD. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Coke or Pepsi? Ooh. Um, Keep going through Wendy's. Yeah. Let's call it Dave's. Probably having a Dave's, Dave's there it Dave's, is Dave's, yeah. a Dave's double yeah or something yeah yeah okay. um probably coke yeah we'll go okay. coke yeah okay last one you take this wherever you want to go Travis okay favorite road trip memory mm, I would say yeah driving to Denver to see my cousins I think um you know Denver's relatively easy to drive to from Albuquerque and you know I've had a lot of fond memories driving to Denver to see my aunts and uncles and, and you know pretty much the rest of my family that lives in Denver how long does it take you about four or five hours yeah, I think it was more about six six and a half okay. right. and yeah, there's gotta be a Wendy's traffic. on the way there's yeah. gotta be a Wendy's on the way probably one in five there we go yeah okay all right I understand that totally all right I want you and I to stay on for a little bit I'm just going to say ciao and chillax, everybody. Thanks for listening. Check out previous episodes with new ones dropping each Tuesday. If you don't see a synopsis of this show where you're listening, visit our website at lifesaroadtrip.podbean.com for more information on this week's guest. This is your host, Scott Martin, reminding you that life's a road trip. 